As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to our first 49ers live room of 2022 training camp. David Lombardi, Matt Barrows here with you. We both made it home, but we were back out at the facility today at Levi Stadium. It was sunny again, perfect weather, no humidity, maybe a couple clouds in the sky today. But boy, uh, has it been an idyllic setting for the first two days of 49ers training camp, the first two days of Trey Lance officially the 49ers starting quarterback. It you know, really wasn't too much of a secret, Matt, this offseason. I think both you and I uh, looked at each other during that press conference the other day when it, it, there just was a, a lot of questions asking, you know, as if it were some kind of surprise. But um, no, it, it hasn't been a surprise. I think Jimmy Garoppolo came out the day after the regular season and Marcus Thompson wrote it brilliantly. He said he all but shed a tear saying goodbye to the reporters and uh, 49ers fans. So we've known that, that this day was coming for quite some time, but I guess it's officially official now. Trey Lance is the 49ers starting quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo only to be seen in the weight room, right, at the 49ers facility. You, I think you caught a glimpse of him there, but he's not out on the practice field. And we've gotten to see Trey Lance try to take that next step. And it's not an easy next step against a ferocious 49ers defense. No, not at all. And uh, that, that to me, is uh, a big theme this summer. Um, you know, Trey Lance doesn't have a lot of experience. And, uh, you know, he needs to get up to speed, I think, uh, you know, accelerating his throws, his processing, all of that, everything that you would expect with, with a young quarterback. But uh, he's got this great kind of Petri dish to, to work with in that um, he's going up against, you know, what could be the best uh, defense in the NFL, certainly one of the most talented that I've covered, um, and certainly the deepest defensive line I've ever covered. That's uh, that's not even a question mark in my mind. And, and that d- defensive line sort of, uh, uh, you know, thumped its chest today uh, in practice. And, um, you know, Nick Bosa and Maurice Hurst and uh, Charles Amenehue, <laughs> all those guys were sort of bursting through and, and making life miserable for, for Trey Lance. But my point is that when you're going against that, you're going against Charvarius Ward and Emmanuel Mosley and, uh, and Jimmy Ward every day of the week, uh, that's, that's only going to make you better. 
uh, by the time the, the start of the, the regular season comes around. There's not going to be any surprises. There are not going to be any defenses, really, that are more talented than the 49ers. There might be circumstances that uh, Lance is going to have to deal with on the road and whatnot. But, uh, boy, what, what a good way to sort of get ready uh, for your first season as a starter. And uh, as, as you noted in your practice report, you know, today was was rough at times for Lance. Uh, he had his moments, but uh, it was a win for the defense. Uh, it'll probably toggle back and forth. But um, I, I think going up against this unit is only going to sharpen and accelerate that learning curve for Trey Lance. Absolutely. And, you know, I think the 49ers formula for this season when they look at this in an overarching way and they're saying hey how do we contend for a super bowl even while making this transition to a quarterback who you know we definitely have bigger plans for the longer term future not just this season i mean it's obvious that before you're going to be in his prime better than he is now three or four years from now right so this is going to be a gradual build for Trey Lance. So when the 49ers are looking at their long-term plan for this season, I think it's undoubtedly one where they're counting on having a really, really good defense. And the way I see it with the growing pains that I expect for Trey Lance, just because of the simple fact that he's coming from North Dakota State, lower-level competition, uh, you know, he hasn't played a lot of football in, in a couple of years. He had those two starts last year, but that was only 10 quarters of action. The 2020 season for North Dakota State essentially got wiped out. Uh, you know, when you look at those parameters, I think the locomotive that pulls the train for the 49ers is going to have to be their defense and their special teams unit. And a defense going to have to pull the train. Special teams is going to have to not screw it up. Uh, last year wasn't good enough. So they try to make a bunch of changes on the, that phase of the game. And then the offense, if that happens, the offense will have some runway, right, in this 2022 season. If that offense has runway, then Trey Lance, not just Trey Lance, a, a really untested offensive line will have the ability to, you know, really figure things out over the course of the first half of the season. And if that happens, then the 49ers' grand plan can work. Top five defense, ultimately a top 12, maybe top 10 offense. Maybe even better if Trey Lance and the offensive line come along uh, a little bit quicker than anticipated. And a special teams unit that's in the top half of the league. And if you have that combination, and if that defense is truly special, right, then maybe not even top five, maybe maybe better than that, maybe top three, then, then you could really make some noise. I mean, that's a tried and true formula, Matt. You've covered the... 49ers back in what 2011 they they had that formula right it was a top three defense and a, a decent offense and a really good special teams unit and the first half of the 2019 season Kyle Shanahan even talked about it 49ers offense was behind the defense but D and special teams got it done pushed the 49ers to 8-0 and then the offense caught up and then they went on a run all the way to the Super Bowl so it's a formula that's worked with this franchise before and I think it's one they have to have again this year. Yeah, that, that 2011 team, that was, that was a very bad offense to begin that season. And the defense uh, kept them alive, and it won that game, that famous game in Philadelphia. It really kind of uh, put the 49ers on the map, gave them confidence that year. And then eventually that, uh, you know, Frank Gore in the running game and, and Alex Smith and Vernon Davis caught up, and it all led to that uh, just uh, fantastic divisional win against the uh, against the Saints, and um, wasn't quite enough to get them over 
the hump uh, against a real another really good defensive team that year in the New York Giants who went on to win the Super Bowl. But absolutely tried and true formula to win. Uh, the, I think it's obvious that the 49ers are are leaning on that. And, um, you know, back to what I said about Lance kind of getting a little bit better against that unit every day. I mean, I think that's the hope that for this uh, offensive line as well. And I wanted to ask you whether you were uh, surprised at all by the the combinations of of starters that we're seeing uh, to begin uh, training camp. A little different than than what we saw back in the spring, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked right now that Spencer Burford, a rookie, a fourth round pick, has done every single starting rep at right guard. And, I mean, we, we know about the 49ers' interior offensive line and the problems they've had there. And we also know that just to begin, they're going to have to replace at least two starters at left guard and center because Lakin Tomlinson is now with the Jets and Alex Mack has retired. But Spencer Burford, he's been starting at, at right guard for the 49ers. He's been the first teamer there throughout the entirety of these first two practices. Now, there might be a reason for that, that Trent Williams has been excused due to a family issue, and Mike McGlinchey is still not in the mix uh, during team drills at right tackle. So Colton McKivitz and Jalen Moore, uh, with Moore being the, the, the key player there, have both had to play tackle, and they haven't been available to play guard. Uh, but still, I mean, you, you would think that if Jalen Moore, who played all those right guard snaps during OTAs, if he was a serious contender to push Brunskill and, and start there, you'd think that they find a way to, to try to mix him in at least for a few snaps during each practice. But it hasn't been that. They put the rookie Burford in there for every single rep. And there's a chance, uh, you know, based on what we've seen, that the regular season will start with Banks, Aaron Banks, second-year man at left guard. Jake Brendel, somebody with, what, three career starts at center, and Spencer Burford at right guard, and, and that's a rookie. And, you know, to me, that's – yeah, I, I guess if you're optimistic, you could say that's intriguing for the 49ers, but to me it's just scary in front of Trey Lance. Um, so, yes, I have been surprised. Maybe Spencer Burford is you know going to be a pro bowler before we know it. I mean, his tape at San Antonio was really impressive. He is ragdolling guys at that level, but – Boy, that th- th- that's a lot of unknowns for the 49ers up front. And, you know, even if you're confident in individual parts of the parlay, right, uh, Aaron Banks, even if you say, okay, yeah, he, he's ready to go, he's changed his body, he's ready to go at left guard, or if you say Jake Brendel, we, we love the way that he can move, he's got great athleticism, he's a prototypical center uh, for our scheme, or if you say, yeah, we, we really like the way that uh, Spencer Burford showed up in OTAs. Even if you're confident in, in each, you know, individual or one of those individual parts of the parlay, you have to realize the entire parlay needs to hit in front of Trey Lance, right? At least an acceptable level. Yeah. You, you have to have multiple quality performances from offensive linemen because as soon as, uh, you have a leaky center position or a leaky left guard position or a leaky right guard position, if just one of those doesn't work out, uh, then it's going to be a really, really rough entry into the NFL for Trey Lance, at least as far as us beginning his starting career. And the probability of all of those hitting, to me, that's scary at best to the 49ers right now. Maybe it's going to happen. You know, maybe they've coached them up, but I, I will constantly say that this offensive line should be 
the team's biggest concern right now. Everybody's talking about Lance and the and the quarterback position, and you know I get it. But if that line doesn't show up in front of him, and there have been so many changes, uh, it doesn't matter what you know what what he does, the quick and his release, and and all this and all that, because he's not going to have a chance. You've got to give him a fighting chance, and that's what I'm going to be tracking for the rest of this training camp and preseason. Yeah, and that'll run totally counter to what the 49ers have badly wanted to do with Lance, which was just kind of set him up, um, you know, for for that that long term growth. Uh, you, you see, so many uh, quarterbacks come into this league, uh, highly drafted quarterbacks, are are drafted by bad teams, and so they play behind bad lines, and they've got bad. Uh, you know, talent around them, and and a lot of them fall by the wayside because of that. And I think Kyle Shanahan very uh, strongly wanted to kind of go in a in a different tact, um, which was take Trey Lance uh, 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 up slowly. And um, you know, we talked about how good the defense is, the the running game is robust. Just give him all this talent around him, and and let him sort of. Uh, uh, blossom over the over the long haul, um, but uh, you're right. I think a, a bad interior line is a really good way to kind of foil all that careful planning that the, the 49ers have done. And uh, we saw, you know, what you know, uh, a, a difficult situation at center could do to this team back in in 2020. I mean, that was a revolving door at that position. Uh, it was obviously a weak point, and um, it it kind of foiled. Uh, everything that that year. I mean, uh, the one good thing, uh, you know, one thing that I like about what they're doing with Burford is that, you know, he was another yet another college tackle that the 49ers drafted and immediately said, yeah, we see him as a guard. They, they've done that in the past, with, you know, with, with Colton McKibbitz and with Jalen Moore, you know, Justin Schools gotten a little bit of, of guard snaps as well. All these were, um, you know, kind of classified as as college tackles who were probably better at guard. Well, with those other guys, they just kind of toggled them back and forth from guard to center, uh, guard to tackle, tackle to guard, and they really haven't gotten uh, a lot of mileage at one spot. Uh, to their credit, they seem to be doing uh, the opposite with Burford, which is playing him exclusively in one spot, that right guard spot. And seeing what he can do with it, um, and and I think that's good, just to kind of allow him to concentrate at that position, and maybe over the course of these next three weeks, whatever training camp is, um, you know, uh, he he starts to develop there. But uh, he's got some, he's going to have some rough competition, I think, uh, starting next week when the pads goes on, because I think uh, you know Eric Arnta is going to be there. We've seen Charles Amenahue; he's been very physical on the inside even without the pads. And then I think Javon Kinlaw will start to get worked in. Uh, he's been held out of the, the team situations thus far. I think probably next week is when we start seeing him and Mike McGlinchey get a little bit more work with uh, the respective team uh, situations. Well, speaking of Burford, this guy, he's wearing number 74. And that was obviously Joe Staley's number. And... It's been two years, so I guess they've had a chance to let the number 74 cool off a little bit. But it's still weird seeing a number 74 running around out there. But apparently he's, you know, impressed the 49ers staff enough to 
uh, you know, start to earn a little bit of that number 74. I just thought I'd be on the shelf for a little bit longer than a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, there's, no, there's nobody wearing 21. There's nobody wearing 52. And, and Patrick Willis has been – and Frank Gore have been off the team for, for a long time now. So, uh, yeah, I thought uh, I thought uh, Staley would uh, – maybe not quite at the, at the level of those two guys, but uh, shortly thereafter. But, uh, I mean, Kimdiche, Robert Kimdiche is wearing number 50. Um, you know, I've never seen an interior lineman with a, a defensive lineman with a number in the 50s. I, I think it just goes to show you there's just not a lot of numbers left over for this team to use. You've got all the retired numbers. Then they don't want to use 21 and 52. Uh, the, so they, they've got to either double up or use some of these uh, more obscure ones that uh, we rarely see. All right, so we've given a chance for a lot of our listeners to file in. Looks like we've got 142 people right now, which is nice. Obviously, you can request to speak and ask a question. Right now, there's nobody in the queue, so if you get into that queue, we'll probably get to you really, really quickly. For the time being, we could look at some of the questions that have come in over the chat. And I know there was one about Jason Poe from Brandon G. What are the chances of Jason Poe getting a look at center and Poe is a, a guy that we need to mention right now. First of all, he was working out with Trent Williams this off season. And he was really, really excited about doing that in Texas. And then Trent Williams and very Trent Williams style, uh, had a private jet fly him from Texas to the Bay area for training camp. And he took Jason Poe along with him. So what an experience for the undrafted rookie out of Mercer, uh, who, you know, intrigued us all when the 49ers signed him because He's got positional versatility, right? He played fullback in junior college. He's the shortest offensive lineman in the NFL at only uh, about six, six one. Uh, but he's built like a complete bowling ball. And he's really, really impressed the 49ers with how quickly he's picked up some of the NFL level blocking techniques in the playbook. They have him there with the second team at right guard now in training camp. And they are looking at him as a potential center in the future. But uh, I mean, Jason Poe, uh, Matt, really a guy that uh, you can't stop watching his tape, right? I mean, he came out of college and he started catching passes in some of his tape and he's catching passes fluidly at 300 pounds. And even if he doesn't do that at the NFL level, the fact that he can do that, I think shows that he has the type of skill set that the 49ers really like in an interior offensive lineman because of his ability to move and, and get to that second level, get to the outside to be able to block uh, in some of these zone situations. Yeah, I, I asked a, uh, a team official, high level team official the other day, hey, g- give me some guy, you know, one of the more under the radar guy who's who's really impressed you. And, and very quickly, this guy told me Jason Poe. And um, apparently when he when he first got there, it was rough, which is what you would expect from an undersized guy who played at at Mercer and level of competition wasn't as good. But um, the point that that was made was that he really made a lot of progress over that spring period. And we're talking only, you know, a month and a half. Uh, but they, they loved, um, you know, the, uh, the, the improvement that he was able to make in that short time. And, and they love the guy. I mean, I think he's got a really, uh, magnetic, uh, you know, energetic personality. His personality is sort of like how he plays. I mean, he's kind of all over the place. He's, he's like a wrecking ball out there when he gets, uh, when he gets going. He moves very, very well for, for someone who's, uh, 300 pounds. He is uh, a little under 6'1. Uh, but he is the the weight, the mass of an offensive lineman. Um, so they like him, obviously, as you noted. Uh, uh, Trent Williams likes him. 
uh, you know, this is a, a kid from the southeast. I thought that maybe he was from the Houston area, and that's why he was, you know, working out at Trent Williams' gym uh, with Williams. But uh, no, that's not the case. So it means that sort of Will- Williams has already taken this guy under his wing, and as you noted, flew him out on a private jet. Uh, I, I believe that Williams has a business partner with whom he uh, he shares a private jet. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's sort of the echelon that Williams is in and Poe is an undrafted, uh, rookie from Mercer. Uh, and I think it's just cool that these two guys who are on the very, very opposite ends of the sort of the, uh, the NFL spectrum, um, in terms of kind of clout, uh, have, uh, have become fast friends. And it shows you the value of having Williams in that locker room too, taking a young guy, under his wing. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and we saw sort of that, that project progress manifested in where he was playing. I mean, Poe was only getting third team reps back in the spring at right guard. And, and, uh, on, on Wednesday, he was with the, the second and third teams. He was with the second team on Thursday. So you already see him sort of move up one step in that pecking order, which I think is a, is a really good sign for, for his future. Yeah. And speaking of Williams, by the way, we got our first question. We're going to get to Daniel here in a second. So Daniel's hold on in the queue here. I have one point to make about Williams. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, playing for Washington just seems like such a, a black hole for, I mean, Kyle Shanahan will talk about that coaching for Washington. Obviously doesn't have good memories there, but just, you know, knowing Trent Williams from afar, appreciating his game from afar, uh, you know, before he came to the 49ers, I always, for some reason, got the sense, and I, this was not based on any real evidence, but just the sense coming from Washington that he wasn't a great teammate, you know, that he was this all pro player, but might not have been a great teammate. But to me, that that just came from Washington. Uh, you know, I now that I know Trent Williams, now that I know what he's doing to this 49ers locker room, flying Jason Poe around on his private jet, you know, talking to Trent Williams and, and these media availabilities, the guy is an awesome teammate. He doesn't conduct himself like the, um, you know, highest paid offensive lineman, who, you know, the, the way that you'd think that that kind of player could conduct himself being standoffish from the rest of the locker room. That's absolutely not the case. And, you know, I think that's just a testament to him being with an organization where, you know, that, that personality can now shine to the outside because with Washington, it certainly didn't. When I was, you know, kind of just appraising that situation from afar, uh, I'd always be like, oh, you know, Trent Williams, what, what what's going on? I just don't think that they allowed him to, to be on display in, yeah. in a positive light. So, um, yeah, I've been really impressed with that side of the game from Trent Williams. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, you know, he's he's uh, a multi-multi-year veteran. I forget exactly how old he is, 34. I think that's part of it. And, you know, he had a, a bout with cancer. I think that kind of put everything in perspective. I mean, he did have some some issues early in his career, um, but, uh, you know, I kind of chalk those up with Richard Sherman. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I chalked that up to him being a much, much younger man. Uh, not, not quite as much perspective. Um, uh, but you know, he's won our, our media good guy award two years in a row. And, um, you know, th- that's in a locker room that, you know, had Joe Staley, uh, or, and, you know, uh, uh, George Kittles there. And, uh, there are a lot of strong contenders for that award. Uh, and, um, you know, Garoppolo and, and Williams were co-winners this, this past season. Um, but I think that kind of just speaks to, you know, just his comfort level too. I mean, uh, you, you reach that echelon that he's in 
And he he knows he can speak his mind. He doesn't have to kind of watch what he says. He speaks from the heart. He's honest, and I think he's probably exactly like that in the locker room as well. All right, let's toss it to Daniel. Daniel, you're on stage with our first question of the show. Um, so kind of continuing the Poe question, um, once you get on the trenches there, obviously having more size, more mass, more strength is going to be helpful. But with that shorter stature, is it actually going to help him for uh, low man wins kind of situations? Thanks. I, yeah, I watched I mean, him. Go ahead, David. Uh, I talked to Chris Furster about this, and they're, they're really intrigued with the comparative advantage that, that Poe knows how to leverage with that low, you know, obviously he's the shortest lineman in the league. So he's got low leverage. He, he can, I guess, good leverage. I should say not low because he is lower to the ground and they love the movement ability that comes with the shorter stature. He could change directions really quickly and they think he could be an absolute weapon in that regard. Now the downside is that his arms are shorter, right? And you do want longer arms for an offensive lineman to keep some of these D linemen at bay when you're blocking. But if Jason Poe can play to his strengths instead of to his weaknesses, the 49ers do think they could develop him into somebody that uh, does exactly what Daniel suggests. And that's, you know, uh, use that low frame to, to gain leverage because he's got that position for that leverage, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, David uh, handled the, the practice report today, which kind of allowed me to, um, you know, focus on one position group. And I, w- I was watching the uh, the offensive line, offensive line, defensive line interplay uh, closely today. And I watched him and, and on a couple of plays, one in particular, uh, he was going against Charles Amenehu, who's basically his opposite in terms of physique, tall, long arms. And Amenehu just obliterated him, just shoved him uh, right back into the quarterback, uh, Nate Sudfeld uh, in, in this case. Uh, so there is, um, you know, you know, especially I think in pass protection, uh, something to be lost with that type of stature. And I don't think that guard is probably his his best spot. Um, I think David's right that maybe the future is center because you can kind of get away with a, a smaller, or shorter arm guy. There. There's not, not as many one-on-one matchups like the one he had with Amenahue today. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, that was, that was one play. Um, uh, there were others that he won and, 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 you know, he moves his feet very well. And, uh, we keep saying, wait till the pads come on, wait till the pads come on. My my answer to Jeff's question is wait till the pads come on. I mean we're really gonna he'll he'll have you know uh you know yeah yeah once a day they have this offensive line versus defensive line drill and a guy like Poe will get I don't know two three four matchups against uh, interior defensive linemen and we'll know I mean it'll it'll be very apparent um uh, you know just how well he can handle somebody one on one that's my my biggest question with him right now uh by this time next week uh they'll have had what five uh, padded practices so i think we'll have a much better kind of read on on how somebody with that kind of smallish body type can can handle that position i'm very much looking forward to it and you know even if he doesn't end up being able to handle the o-line position because of the shorter stature at the nfl level 
this is something that circles back to the initial video that he put out that, that we watched as soon as the 49ers signed him. And he was there catching passes and obviously showcasing himself as somebody who could play that H-back type role or maybe even, uh, you know, an inline tight end type of role. When the 49ers look to cut down their roster, and this is something I talked to with Brian Flurry, their tight ends coach, about when, they, when they're going from 90 to 53 on August 30th, other position coaches, not just the O-line coach, they're going to all be sitting in a room. And that's when the haggling starts. That's when the debate starts. And somebody like Brian Flurry in that tight ends room or somebody like Anthony Lynn in the running backs room is going to say, hey, um, you know, I, I like this guy Poe over there. I think that he could do some of the stuff like that Kyle Juszczyk might be able to do or Brian Flurry might say, you know, I think he could do some stuff in my tight ends room as far as blocking on the perimeter goes, yeah, yeah. that cannonball frame. I want him on that roster or at the very least, I want him on the practice squad so we could call him up for week two against Seattle because I think schematically he's going to be very capable in that regard. And, you know, we're still way too early in the process to be seeing Poe on the field playing in, in versatile roles that Kyle Shanahan's offense has accentuated in the past. But based on my conversations with the staff, those are the types of conversations that will be had near the end of August when they're cutting down to 53. So, I mean, just we can't forget about that with Jason Poe, right? Because he is, in a way, maybe the ultimate Shanahan player in that he doesn't quite fit anywhere perfectly, but he fits everywhere well. And the 49ers might be able to use him on the practice squad because you remember that practice squad has call up capability and, and, and he could be somebody that Shanahan can use in a creative way to, to get some creative blocking assignments done during the season. I know Williams will be pissed if, if Poe ends up getting a, an NFL touchdown coming out of the backfield as a fullback before Trent Williams gets his. <laughs> We're working on getting Williams that easy TD for, for a while now. That's that's sort of a career goal for him at this point. We got Michael. Michael, you're on stage right now. What's your question? Hello. Can you hear me, guys? Yeah, we got you. Uh, I had a question about the competition at safety. Um, I was a big believer in to various Moore's range and speed. Has he had any reps with the ones or is Talano Hufunga just entrenched as the starter right now as strong safety? Yeah, going back to the spring, it's been all Hufunga. Uh, he's gotten every single one of those strong safety uh, reps with the ones, and he doesn't appear to be letting go of that, um, you know. We talk about Trey Lance and what a good spring he had, and he sort of kind of sealed the idea that he's the uh, the, the starting quarterback. I thought that Hufanga did the same thing at strong safety. and in, in fact, he had a really nice play kind of zooming in from uh, the secondary to uh, break up a Trey Lance pass today. And that's that's really the, the question about him is his range. Um, you know, the, the, he and Tarverius Moore are sort of opposite players who play the same position. Moore is, you know, fast enough to be a cornerback. In fact, the 49ers played him there. He's got really, really good range, uh, deep range. Um, not a great tackler. Um, and Ufanga is the absolute opposite. Really, really solid tackle, tackler, aggressive around the line of scrimmage, takes good angles. Uh, just doesn't have blazing speed to him. But I think the 49ers are hoping, David, that, you know, his, his smarts, his instincts, his savvy kind of 
give him that speed. You know, give him that that first step is going in the right direction, a half beat before somebody else at that position, uh, which kind of makes up for any lack of uh, actual foot speed. And like I said, I mean, I I, I think it's all kind of arrow up so far for Talano Hufanga. That's absolutely the hope of Tano Hufanga. I mean, he's a four six forty guy, right? So he's not fast by any stretch of the imagination. But the instincts are real with Tano Hufanga. They're real on tape at USC. That's why the 49ers really liked him coming out of USC, and they have translated to the NFL level. I mean, I know he was the third safety last year, but D'Amico Ryans loves to play a lot of those three safety looks, and Hufanga instinctually made some big plays last year. I mean, instinctually, if you want to talk about a big play, it, it showed up on special teams. It's not easy to pick up a blocked punt in negative 10-degree weather in the snow in Green Bay, cleanly field it, and take it into the end zone. But we saw Talano Ufunga able to do that. Like Again, I don't think that most people understand just how cold it was that day in Green Bay. And it, when all hell breaks loose and that punt's blocked and you don't know where the football is, Talano Hufunga just seamlessly picked it up and ran into the end zone. I thought that play was a great illustration of the fact that he just knows his way around the football field. And then you translate that to defense, right? And today you mentioned the play. I thought that was a great pass breakup. I mean, he, he, he was in there. He had that first step, right? And that first step, if you can have it, then you can make up for the fact that you only have four six speed. You could play more as a four four guy. Whereas Tarverius Moore, uh, he's a four three guy by measurables. At least he was a four three guy uh, until he popped his Achilles. I'm not. I'm not sure because I haven't had a chance to see him play with the ones coming off that injury. If he has that full speed back, right? And this is this is really the first year coming off the Achilles, and sometimes, maybe most of the time, that's an injury that requires two years to get back to full speed. And then, you know, Moore was a, a tools player, right? He's the burst, the forty. That that's that's who Tarvarius Moore is. They're trying to develop the instincts with him, and I thought they were making some progress. I thought that he had a couple really good games in the 2020 season, but then unfortunately, he got hurt during OTAs in 2021. So right now, I'd have to say that. Talano Hufanga, because his trajectory has only been going upwards. I mean, he's working out with uh, Troy Polamalu over the offseason. His hair is getting longer. His hair is starting to resemble uh, Troy Polamalu's. Uh, he just looks the part right now for the 49ers. And there's a reason why they were okay with not re-signing Jaquaski Tart. And I think it's because they feel that at this point, uh, Hufanga can become an upgrade over Tart this season. And because of that, I'd have to say that as of right now, as of today, late July, uh, Talano Hufunga, Hufunga is indeed entrenched at that uh, starting position. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that that uh, Palomalo comparison is, is so easy to make. They're both Polynesian. They both played at USC. They train together. But I, I get the same vibe with him. I mean, it's hard not to. And it's, that's a tough one for uh, Hufunga because, uh, you know, Palomalo is a, a Hall of Famer. Um, but, um, it, it's, it's the instincts and it's the ability to kind of make things happen when he's on the field. Uh, he's always around the ball and this goes back to the last off season. He was always kind of picking up fumbles and, and interceptions and whatnot. And, uh, that, that obviously, uh, kind of held, held true with that really, really fantastic, uh, play that he and Jordan Willis, uh, combined to make in, in the playoffs. That's what sent the 49ers into the, into the championship game. Let's go to Thiago. Thiago, how's it going? 
Hey, it's Tiago. It's Tiago. Hello, gentlemen. It's been quite some time. Hello. How's it going? Yes. How are you? Good. Good. I. Uh, so my question is contract related, and it's not Debo Samuel or Nick Bosa related. So, uh, David, you had mentioned that the linebacking core for the 49ers uh, is probably one of the best in the league. With Greenlaw and Aziz Alshair kind of both coming up on, on contract negotiations, are they able to keep both? Or does one walk away or do, or do both walk away? How do you guys see that playing out? Well, first of all, they both have to play a healthy season in 2022 for this to become an issue. Last year, Dre Greenlaw only appeared in three regular season games due to injury. And then Aziz Alshire actually was playing hurt throughout the postseason, had to have two surgeries. But they're both fully healthy now. So if you're the 49ers, you really hope it stays that way because you would love to face this problem next offseason. You've already paid Fred Warner. And then, I mean, logic tells you that if they both stay healthy and they both play well, then only one of Alshire or Dre Greenlaw uh, would be in line to get paid by the 49ers. Uh, that being said, the cap is exploding right now. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's something they would look at. But I just think that with defenses being in nickel packages 70 percent of the time in the modern NFL, uh, it's it, that's not an investment the 49ers would make. They wouldn't pay both of these guys. So um, it, this is this is an inflection point in, in a way. This is a. You know, not just a contract year for Al Shire and Dre Greenlaw, but it's it's a competition year for who who gets offered that contract by the 49ers. But uh, we're still such a long way away from that. We're a marathon of the season away from you know that decision uh, happening. And and I do have to point out that last year uh, the 49ers needed both of those guys because one of them was hurt for most of the year. So uh, first things first, they they both need to stay healthy before this becomes an issue. Yeah, I think it could be a situation where let's let's say that that you know Drake Greenlaw gets that weak side position, uh, and he and he seems like he's pretty much entrenched there and has a great year. It, it may be that um, it's it's not Greenlaw that they resign because he would be the more coveted um, free agent. Uh, maybe they would let Greenlaw walk, knowing that they could get uh, Al Shire back on a uh, on a more reasonable deal. Um, and that he becomes the weak side for 2023 and beyond. And, and then it would be a kind of an interesting, um, you know, case of, all right, who's the new strong side linebacker? Who's the new Aziz, basically, the, the new number three? Um, and uh, they've got a, a really interesting group of undrafted uh, rookie linebackers this year. Uh, Jeremiah Gamal. Uh, Marcelino McCrary Ball and Sugin, I, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, Alubi, uh, who had a, a pick yesterday, or was it today? It's all, already starting to uh, 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 blend together in my mind. Um, but um, th- there's some talent there, and uh, it'll be fun to kind of watch that play out this year and next year to see if one of those guys sort of rises to the surface. Yeah, that, that pick today, that was a nice diving interception from Saguno Lupi, who, by the way, that's Drake Jackson's high school teammate from Centennial High School over there in Inland Empire, Corona, down, uh, down east of Los Angeles. So Olubi, that's, that's a player to keep an eye out for when you're yeah. looking at the future of the linebacker position because he's so raw. So the, the upside on, on this guy is, is, is potentially massive because he didn't really 
start focusing on football until his senior year of high school because he was doing the whole basketball football thing and he kind of liked basketball more and then uh then he realized well at 62 uh my my future is probably more likely to be in football if I want to play professionally so he switched to that football only focus late in high school and then he went to like five, literally like five different colleges um he was going NAIA D2 JC I mean, just all over the place. Finally walked on at San Diego State, earned a scholarship, and now here he is, undrafted free agent, reunited with his high school teammate Drake Jackson on the 49ers. But um, it's just such a roundabout, crazy journey for Saguno Luby. And then today he had an interception, and uh, 49ers practice off a of deflection. It was a diving pick. It was a really nice play. He's fast. I mean, the guy runs a 4-4-40. And if there's anything about 49ers linebackers, it's – that these guys can all move. Uh, the league in general has emphasized uh, smaller linebackers in recent years, right, that can cover just because of the nature of, of, of how offenses are, um, are evolving. But the 49ers have emphasized this evolution even more than other teams. They, they've gone for a lot of guys who are former defensive backs, and they've converted them to linebackers. Aziz Alshire yesterday was saying that back when he – was uh, coming out of uh, Central Florida or uh, Florida Atlantic in the, in the pre-draft process. A scout told him, you know, you're not going to make it. You're only 225 pounds. You know, there's safety to their 225 pounds in NFL. And, um, you know, Aziz Elshire took that personally. And now he says, you know what, 225 pounds as a linebacker, that's exactly what this football team wants. And uh, this football team also wants guys who run 4-4 at the linebacker position. So that's why I think Olubi – might fit really well once he develops into this scheme. And, you know, as Matt said, they stocked up with futures talent at linebacker, uh, guys that probably will only make the practice squad at best this offseason because they know that it's going to be tough to keep both Greenlaw and Al Shire past 2022. So it's cool to see the, the bigger picture, right? The 49ers stocking up for not just this season, but, but years past that. And you have to consider that when you're building a roster that, that you're trying to make sustainable. I remember in 2011 when they were considering drafting Patrick Willis, uh, Mike Singletary and, and Mike Nolan were very skeptical about Patrick Willis with, uh, I think it was the number 11 overall pick. And this is 2007, I'm sorry. Um, and, and the reason that they were is because Willis was, quote unquote, only 240 pounds. Um, and, uh, you know, back in, back in the day, you know, Mike Singletary was 255 and that's what linebackers were. And so they had a very kind of antiquated notion of, of what a linebacker was and how he should play. But 240, these days would be just a, a lard ass at, at, at linebacker because they're all 225. I mean, 225 is, you know, maybe even on the, on the higher side for some of these guys. Uh, Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, I know, isn't, isn't nearly that heavy. Uh, and some of the other guys aren't as well, but, uh, I think it's funny how quickly that position has evolved in the, in the NFL. Yeah, very, very quickly. D'Amico Ryan's at 250. And I mean, speaking of the evolution, I, I still remember the Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman at close to 250. Probably they're probably a little lower in the 240s at the time. Yeah, low 240s. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 I think got, both of them probably downsized their career when it moved along because the league was changing. But 2012, and, and I'm sure you could find this game on YouTube, just type it in. 
Uh, that, I think that's where I rewatched it just a couple years ago. And it struck me that uh, the 49ers jumped out to, what, like a 31 nothing lead in that game in the first half, something crazy against Brady. And Brady brought him all the way back. And then uh, Kaepernick had Crabtree for the touchdown, and the 49ers won it 38-31. to But uh, when you watch the first half, it's just a defensive masterpiece for the 49ers against – Tom Brady and the Patriots who like to spread it out. And and it's Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman at 240-plus pounds covering slot receivers. I mean, the 49ers were the only team, and those are the only two linebackers, I think, in the league at the time. For sure the only duo at the time that, that, that could do that. And it just made Vic Pangio's defense so tremendously adaptable because in that first half, the Patriots couldn't run on the 49ers because Willis and Bowman are still on the field. And then they can't pass against them, too, because they can still cover the slot receivers. I mean, it, it was wild to me. Uh, so they were ahead of their time. And and that's why they were, they were such special talents. They were able to do at 240-plus what, um, you know, linebackers at, at 215 to 225 right now can't do. But the 49ers feel that, that their guys can do at least some of that. So... Um, it, it's interesting that this franchise over the course of the past decade through uh, different players and different coaching staffs has been at the cutting edge of that linebacker revolution. And, and it, you could trace it back to Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. Anybody else have a question? Go ahead and get in the queue. Otherwise, we'll be wrapping this up here in a couple of minutes. Uh, I'm going to take a look at the chat section to see if there's any good questions there. Still have about I'll, I'll, uh, I'll comment on that uh, 2012 game. Um, first of all, it's something we should keep in mind. You know, you, t- you tend to hyperbolize whatever you're watching at the moment. And, uh, you know, I, I think this could be a really special defense for the 49ers. One, one of the best I've covered, but there have been some really, really good defenses, uh, this, this century, last 25 years or so. Um, and that was one of them that those 2011 and 2012 units kind of, Peak, uh, peak Willis, peak Bowman were, were something special for sure. And I think that was also the game that, uh, uh, Justin Smith really, really messed up his, his shoulder and basically spelled the end of his career. Um, and, uh, Ray McDonald had a, a big game, uh, sort of in a supporting role, uh, that day, but, uh, I, to me, that's one of the big reasons why the 49ers lost the Super Bowl. Justin Smith was playing with one arm in that game. Uh, if you got a healthy Justin Smith in that game, I don't think that uh, the Ravens are are quite as dominant on offense as as they were in that uh, in that game. So uh, that was a, a very fateful uh, outing for the 49ers in in a lot of ways. Yeah, and the very next week they played Seattle, right back in there in 2012. Did they, was that back-to-back games they played on Sunday Night Football? The game, yeah, the game in New England was definitely a uh, a primetime game. I mean, it, it was one of those New England the weather events where it was half snow, half sleet, half rain, terrible conditions. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think they got they got smoked in Seattle the next the next week. That's crazy, man. Those were the days, right? Harbaugh, coach of the team, and uh, that that was just the prelude to the 2013 matchup with Seattle, the NFC Championship game, and obviously, I was talking to Steve Berman yesterday uh, at the Athletics Bay Area's company party, and um, it was just kind of a commemoration of what we've done over the past five years. Obviously, we're not divided up into the local markets anymore, but it was cool to see everybody. And Steve Berman, he was working for a different outlet back then. He was talking about the 
the 2012 Super Bowl. Obviously, that's bad memories for 49ers fans against the Baltimore Ravens. But uh, uh, a lot's happened in 10 years, right? It's 2022. That was 10 years ago. Yeah, it was so, 10 years ago. Um, yep. Bobby D says, I thought Taylor Mays would be a good linebacker. I <laughs> have a point. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He would have been a better linebacker than a safety. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe today's game would have been better suited for him, right? Because he was what, 220, 225 back then, had to play safety because he was 20 pounds too light for linebacker. So nowadays, you know, you'd plug him in linebacker. But uh, the thing with Taylor Mays is you got to really embrace contact. I'm not just talking about the highlight reel hit. You have to embrace getting down and dirty, down in and down out. And I covered Taylor Mays in college because I, I covered Stanford. So I, I remember whenever he played at USC and, and they would just kind of put him in this. Pete Carroll was coaching him back then. He'd put him in a single high safety roll at 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. And they would just like let him sit back there and then run up and hit people. And it wasn't really a, you know, he would deliver the contact, right? So he wasn't taking too much pain. It, it was just kind of a glamour role that he played at USC. There was more style and substance. So I thought that once he moved to the NFL, uh, you know, he wasn't able to just be the, the most athletic, biggest dude on the field. Uh, it, it got a little more grimy in the NFL, and I think that's probably where things went south for Taylor Mays. Well, I can tell you that he was uh, very disappointed that uh, Pete Carroll didn't didn't draft him in the first round. Uh, they I, 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 Is that the year that they took Earl Thomas? I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was. But, uh, yeah, the 49ers ended up getting him, and uh, Taylor Mays did not make any uh, – it was clear that he was quite resentful that uh, that his college coach passed them up, and his college coach obviously knew him better than anybody, and I think there was a, a really good reason why he was passed up for what turned out to be the much, much better safety. Yeah, cool. Well, we've been on for, for close to an hour here, so I think it's, uh, it's about time to wrap this up, and uh, we're going to try to do these frequently this year. Sorry if we had some echo difficulties this time. We're going to figure stuff out a little bit on the technical end and make these a little bit more frequent for you because it's just cool to hear, you know, the subscribers' voices and get those questions in real time. Uh, you know, it's even better than the comment section up on The Athletic. So thank you to everybody for joining the show. Thank you to everybody for subscribing. Uh, Matt and I, we're going to be back at a training camp tomorrow. Like two more days, Matt, until we get a day off. We're out there every day. It's four days on, one day off right now. Yeah, I think today's was a better practice than just a meteor practice. I think that the first day on Wednesday was just a little kind of a warm up, really. So we're getting into the the full swing of things here. So we'll have uh, lots of content for you uh, over the next uh, (laughs) next month, really, as we kind of wind into the season. Yeah, let's make this season as interactive as possible. We have all these great tools at our disposal. Obviously, with this live room, we'll be doing uh, more standard podcasts as well. And, of course, uh, every day, essentially, we've, we've got multiple pieces up on The Athletic. Uh, both of our articles are there right now in case uh, you guys haven't had a chance to uh, read those. Matt wrote about Trey Lance's timing and, and the need to uh, speed up his release. And, and yeah, I wrote a little bit about Lance as well, but there's a, a lot more about Brock Purdy and Nate Sudfeld, who's started out just awesome in camp 20 of 22 over his uh, – first two practices so the 49ers you know they're they're, i think they're feeling good about nate sunfield's development to be qb2 so we'll definitely uh be in a situation where uh you as the reader will be able to interact with us on those articles and and hopefully get in depth into 
the inner workings of the 49ers. All right, everybody, thank you for joining today. This has been a fun live room. Many more coming soon, so be sure to check out all the articles, and we'll talk to you all uh, in just a few days.